Now, maybe you didn't come to hear that verse today, but that's, that's there. It's there, and it's in the Bible. Let me read it one more time. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And then one more verse is found in Mark chapter 6, verse 11. Mark chapter 6, verse 11. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Now notice what Jesus is saying here. This is his word. Assuredly, for these are his words, assuredly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Again, they do have copies of this. Uh, you might want to get, get a copy of it because this is going to be an interesting study. Ironically, most of you remember what we started the year 2015 all the way was the book of Mark. And how that Mark wrote to primarily to the Gentiles. And uh, uh, he, he, he wrote that we would get outside of the four walls of where we are and, and reach out to people. And this year has been spent mainly from the pulpit each Sunday morning telling us to reach the unsaved, to reach the lost, to go out and spread the gospel. And yet here, the last Sunday in 2015, the pastor has the audacity to preach this sermon. Well, stay with me. Because, uh, it is, again, it's God's Word. One of the hardest things to keep in church is balance. You're always running between death and the nut. And, and you want to make sure that you have balance when it comes to the Word of God. And so as we go through this, look at the introduction that we have for us. Sometimes preachers, elders, and other concerned Christians spend too much time on those who do not appreciate the gospel. We're often hesitant to give up on someone whom we believe to be a good prospect for the gospel. However, when our Lord sent out the apostles on the limited commission, he said, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Of course, he's saying here, when we read this scripture, those who do not receive the gospel will receive a worse fate than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now this is hard. And this message, uh, it, 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 it can really, uh, I, I believe, help us to understand what God is saying to us when it comes to reaching the unsaved. But also when it comes to reaching people or trying to reach people that you can't touch. And I'm going to say this. I believe a lot of energy is spent by Christians, believers, church members. A lot of energy and time is spent on people that has absolutely no will to serve God or be part of the church or part of the kingdom of God. Let me say this, and this is very important. This verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And there, in this chapter, 
beginning with the first verse of the seventh chapter, Jesus is saying, don't judge people. And yet, Pastor, you're telling us we must either judge or discern where people are in order to keep this uh, Word of God true to our own selves. There is a difference between judging and discerning. We're not to judge. We're not to certainly look at anyone critical. But we are to discern where that person is. Look at Roman numeral number one. Jesus associated with sinners. You know, Christians that are on the verge of backsliding becoming cold and indifferent and they're out in the world. They're associated with sinners. And they're using Jesus' own words or the Scripture's own words that He was a friend to sinners. That He associated with people like Levi. And we talked about that one of the first in January, one of the first sermons, or the first of the year, one of the first sermons we preached was when Jesus called Levi and then He went to Levi's house for a party. He said, oh, but Jesus associated with the unbelievers. He associated with sinners, harlots, prostitutes, and all kinds of people, Jesus, drunkards. You know, he, he was out there where they were. But there's a difference in what many people believe Jesus was doing and actually what he was doing. Why did Jesus associate and spend, look at, look at your outline, spend time with sinners? Jesus never associated and was necessarily friends to the unrepentant sinner. Jesus tells us the exact reason why he hung with sinners. Look at Mark 2.17. Mark 2.17. When Jesus heard it, now they were accusing Jesus of associating with the, with the, with the, uh, the sinners, the unbelievers, the riffraff. In fact, I preached one sermon first of the year uh, associated with the riffraff. So they accused him. But notice what Jesus said. When Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, notice what we have. We go to the doctor for what reason? To hang out? How many of you go to the doctor's office just when they get out? How many doctors come to you or how many doctors are in the office just to hang out with you? They don't. You go to the doctor to get healed. And the doctor associates with you, deals with you, with the fact that he's there to make sure that we are healed or that we're well. So Jesus is saying here plainly, it's those that are sick that needs a physician. We go to the doctor to get healed. We go with purpose and intent. It's not to hang out, it's to heal. So when we hang out with sinners, if you want to use that word, it's that they might get healed. But they can't get healed until they repent. Look at number four. Jesus hung out with sinners not only to reveal their sin, but to simply to bring them to repentance. Amen. Not to partake of their evil, 
not to laugh at their jokes, but we deal with the unsaved, that they might be saved, that they might be delivered, and that they might be set free. And the church and the world is becoming so near alike, you can't hardly tell the difference between them in some ways. Casting your pearl, uh, pearls before the swine. I'm not against dogs. Now you dog lovers, please don't get angry at me, okay? This is what the scripture says. It says don't cast your pearl. Or he says, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Understand, he is talking about the dogs in that day were, uh, were wild dogs, undomesticated. They ran in packs. And they would attack human beings. That's the kind of dogs he was talking about. And he says here, and of course, of course they were usually fierce, and they were known as scavengers certainly on the streets. There is a difference uh, between, I just said this, judgment and discernment. Look at number two. To share the gospel to those who manifest a contemptuous, contemptuous blasphemy toward it cheapens it. In other words, we should not open up a saloon with prayer. Now they go to now they've got, we don't, we don't call them saloons now. But they're still the same. They sell alcohol, they sit there and they drink. Now we take people, get them saved, I'm telling you, get them saved, and then we take them to the bar. Or where they sell alcohol to sit there and drink their booze instead of the Bible. We are not to confuse this. Amen? Do not use religious offices, work, or ordinances in such a manner to degrade it or defame it. This is precious. What you have in your hand. If you have a Bible in your hand, that's precious. Amen. And it's not to be laughed at, scorned at, used. God wants us to use it, certainly, for the lost and the unsaved. Number three, discern those who are totally antagonistic to spiritual truth. We need to know those people. We need to have the spirit of discernment and don't waste time on people that don't want the gospel, that they're not going to hear the gospel. This past Friday, I had the privilege of being uh, with a group of people to feed the poor. And I saw them there, and I noticed sitting out in the audience, there was probably a hundred or more people there to receive food and whatever. I noticed a man sitting in the audience, 30 Five years ago, I tried to help that man. 35 years ago, he wanted the church to buy him a moped. He was lazy. He wouldn't work. And he's still sitting 35 years out there begging food. He has no intentions of change. Now, I know I'm going to get some feedback and kickback in this. I know. But it's, brother, don't wish you'd be long-suffering. I'll get to that in a moment. When I first started pastoring 26 years, I was 26 years old. When I first started pastoring, we helped everybody. I mean, I went often, got people out from one of the bridges, took, took them the hardest. Hardest had just opened up then. That's what I'm trying to do. 
I would go get them out from one of the bridges. I would go get them off the side of the road. I would put them in my car. I would put them up at night. We did it time and time and time again. And for ever since uh, 1969, uh, uh, up until about 1980, I did everything I possibly could to help people. I would buy them bus tickets. They would come and they need to go to Virginia. Their mom was sick, dying, and they had to have a bus ticket. I went and got a bus ticket. One guy bought a bus ticket, he had to get to Virginia. The next day, Neil was about five, I don't know, he might have been 19 years old. I got him a bus ticket, and I was downtown, and there he was. He was supposed to be in Virginia with his sick mother. He's walking the sidewalk. I did what I shouldn't have done. If I'd caught him, been ready to give me a ticket, I parked right in the street and jumped out and pushed him out. <laughs> because you know what they were doing? They were taking bus tickets. They were taking all kinds of things that you would give to them, and they would turn them back in, and they would use them to buy drugs. Now, I know when it comes to helping people, it's dangerous to preach this sermon. I know that. But we help people sometimes, or try to help people, that they had no intentions of changing our church was on Main Street in East Durham, and we would bring people in, drunkards, all kind of people in. We fed them. We took them. We, you know, for the first 20 or 25 years that my wife and I were married, we never, hardly ever went to church with an empty car. I'm, I'm honest. Almost 100% of the time, not every time, but 90-some percent of the time, when we went to church, we carried somebody to church in our car. And it smelled good. We would close services down, and we'd go out and cut up uh, trees for people and clean up their yards. We'd just call services and go help them. We did all kinds of things. We gave, we gave. We had so many people to come by, and we just... Just give them, give them. But it was the same people. Now, I'm not against some, some helping people, folks. But I'm going to tell you, so often we waste energy, time, and money on people that don't want to get right and don't want to change. Ooh, look right there, but it's true. They will take that which is holy, the pearls of God's word, as foolishness and as an insult. You said, well, Jesus helped everybody. No, he didn't. The Pharisees would ask him questions. He wouldn't answer the questions. You said, well, we should, we should stick with them. We should stay with them. Do you think Peter, Paul, and those disciples and apostles stuck with the Gentiles when they refused to hear the word of God? What happened? They went to the Jews. You said, they don't want to hear Go to go to someone that does want to hear it's important. How can we tell when it is time to give up on someone and turn to other fields? Look at what we have here. It should be after we have taught, prayed, and exercised all long suffering. Let me read this. I'm going to read it with the Living Bible. It says, Christ also suffered, talking about when he was crucified, he died once for the sins of all. Us guilty sinners, although he himself was innocent of any sin at any time, 
that he might bring us safely home to God. But though his body died, his spirit lived on. And it was in the spirit that he visited the spirits in prison and preached to them. Spirits of those who long before, in the days of Noah, how many years did Noah preach? Was it 120? It was well, it was well over 100 years. In the days of Noah, had refused, here it is, they refused to listen to God, though he waited patiently for them while Noah was building the ark, yet only eight persons were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. You say, Pastor, that's a negative sermon. It's not if you're wasting time on people that don't want to hear the gospel, that they had no intentions of serving God. And we need to know who they are because there's a lot of people that we can help and there's a lot of people that need the gospel. And I believe today that there are a lot of people that want to hear the gospel. Number two, despite our best efforts, some will perish because they reject the truth of God. Second Corinthians chapter 2. I will read 9 and 10. Listen to this word. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonder, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. I hope you're following this. I hope, I hope we can grasp this and understand what I believe this last Sunday in 2015 is saying. Others will simply close their eyes to the truth. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. There's some people, they don't want the truth. They want to shut their uh, ears up to it and they're going to close their eyes to it. Some Christians will fall away and it will be impossible. Okay, stay with me this one. They remember this one because it is sometimes not easily understood. It's from Hebrews <coughs> chapter 6. Some Christians will fall away and it will be impossible for us to renew them again to repentance since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now I'm going to lose about maybe a quarter of a year. But I'm going to tell you how I feel. And I think I'm right. Okay. At least I have to go in today. Okay, here we go. Listen, listen to what Hebrews says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Are you saying today, preacher, that there are people that are actually saved, that they backslide, and they're lost, and they go to hell? Yes. Now, what the writer of Hebrews, many think it was, think it was the Apostle Paul. What he was saying, listen to this, here clearly describes those who have experienced the saving grace of God and a complete disowning 
a deliberate and a decisive abandonment of the Christian faith. Apostates. That's what God, that's what His Word calls them. Now, He's not talking about those that merely backslide and fall away. That's not what He's talking about. There are a lot of people that backslide, that God will continue to deal with them. The Bible says in the Old Testament, He is married to the backslider. He continues to deal with that person. And I believe that many of them will come. I believe that many of them will come. But for the person or persons that have once known Jesus Christ and they have turned their back on God and they have chosen not to serve God and they, here it is, and they rebel against God. I don't know where it is, but somewhere in there, they're lost and somewhere in there, they're going to go to hell. Now you can read other scriptures that I believe agree with this. This is what I feel. But he's not talking about simply those that have just fallen away. But that person, that man, that woman, that person that has openly denounced God and says, I want nothing to do with God. I see some today that it scares me. And I tell my wife, I said, Carol, I hope that person has not got into this condition. That's so hard that in such rebellion that they they not only say but they can't be saved. I uh, I was reading behind Joseph uh, Matter M A T T E R A and he lists ten things ten people you could not help ten people you can't help I I, I brought it down to five stay with me. Look at your neighbor and say, stay away for a few more minutes. Come on, say, stay away for a few more minutes. We don't have any gas in use today. That's an excuse, so, okay? Found out why people sleep on me in the, in the auditorium now. <laughs> but no excuse in this in here. I'll be finished in just a moment. I want to list some of those. Look, look at number one, look at your outline. Those who do not take responsibility for themselves. The first step in you and I improving ourselves and self-improvement is to remove the excuses for our failures. People fail, they get away from God, they, they, they don't serve God, and they don't they just don't measure up because they, they just blame other people. They take absolutely no responsibility for themselves. And they can never, even Christians, listen to this, even Christians can't go to the next level because they don't take responsibility for themselves. They blame the preacher, the church, their wife, their husband, the children, their job, something else. Number two, those who create distance so they are not accountable. I am a firm believer that every one of us standing or sitting here today should be accountable to someone. But there are a lot of people that they have arrived, so to speak. And they're not accountable to anyone else. And so you take, you take for instance, they won't get close to anyone. They keep distance from anyone. So they won't have to be accountable to them. In fact, they won't go to a church long enough for the preacher or the leaders to know anything about them. And if they start finding out anything, they leave and go to other churches. That's why you see so many church offers. And that's why I said, I'm not against megachurches. Thank God for them. But 
So that's why you see so many people at sometimes going to mega churches because they can hear the word of God preach, but they don't have to be accountable. They can get lost in the crowd and they do not have to be accountable. You start preaching the word of God, you start requiring accountability, and folks will pack their bags and they believe. They don't want to be accountable. Those, number three, those who deal in self-deception. Self-deception. There are many who are living lives of denial regarding their relationship with God, regarding their relationship with each other, their husband, their wife, even regarding themselves. They live in a state of constant self-denial. If I ask every one of you, I believe you could tell me you know some people that live in that state of denial. They won't be honest with themselves. I found that out, and this started changing after, let's say, and I'll go back to the, the figure I used earlier, about 30, 35 years ago. I would counsel with people, and they, they would say, hey, boy, I'm going in, I'm sorry, you know, on their knees, repent. I've had people on their knees in my, in my office so many times, and they repent. But about 30 years ago, you can always rest assured when people come to talk to you, not everybody, I don't mean to blanket everybody, they're going to keep that trump card right under here. Then I'm going to be honest with you. So many people, God can't bless you, God can't use you, God can't save you until you open up and be honest with yourself, honest with God, no matter, no matter how bad it hurts. You know what the Bible says? It says, confess your trespasses, your sins, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, of course, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails one. How long has it been since you've confessed your sins to someone? We don't like to do that, do we? I don't. We're to confess our sins. Now, men can forgive our sins, but we need to confess our faults. We need to be open, honest, transparent when we get to that. Those who do not want to pay the price for success. I only did one the football game yesterday, didn't they? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Carolina fan, but I was pulling so much for Duke to win that game. Let me tell you why. It was the first bowl game they had won since 1961. And they had one of the best coaches in the, in the nation. That man is genuine. He's real. And, uh, but let me tell you, they didn't win that game just by sitting around doing nothing. They paid the price for it. Those boys worked hard. Not just out there before the cameras. Before they ever got there, week after week, year after uh, month after month, they worked hard and it paid off. There's no telling how many times they practiced those plays. Over and over and over again. You see, we want to be successful without working hard. We want it all to come our way without paying the price for it. 
We want to be as spiritual as Joe or somebody else, as sister so-and-so, but we don't want to pay the price to be that close to God and have that kind of relationship with God. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes fasting. It takes believing God. It takes walking and walking and walking with God. A lot of husbands and wives want a successful marriage without paying the price for it. My wife has paid an awful price for being married to me. <laughs> Ask her. <laughs> now we have the best relationship. We have a better relationship now than we had in 1963, September the 15th, 1963, when we got married. But you know what? I was going to pray the little Christ too. Not like she did. See, we want a marriage without, without sacrificing. If she does something, if he does something, we want to grumble and complain about it and run off. It's true. We need to be willing. If we want a ministry, you know, we have people who want ministry. You want a ministry? Pay the price. Sacrifice. Be faithful. Be there when you feel like it. And be there when you don't feel like it. Give when you got something and give when you hardly don't have anything. I mean, we, need, we don't want to pay the price today to be successful. There is a price to pay. Those who do not want to pay the price to be successful. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. And there's people that won't pay that price, leave them alone. That sounds terrible, don't it? I went to church. You know, here a while back, there was this about several years ago, there was this advertisement don't go to church, be the church. You hear that? Don't go to church, be the church. A lot of the companies sold, they sold millions of dollars of material on that. And churches all over the nation, they, they taught that. Don't go to church, be the church. I had one pastor say, I might have lost my membership when I preached that, when I taught that, because they didn't come to church. There's a price to pay. There is a price. There's, you must invest time. We're sitting around. Listen, can you imagine in this right here, in this audience right here, can you imagine if every one of us invested our time and talent in the kingdom of God? But people want to go to church. They don't want to give in the church. They don't want to do anything in the church. They just want to go when the church doors open. They want to leave when the amen is over. And they're gone. And they want to be this and that and the other with God. Yeah, there's a price to pay. There may be an hour. And, and like Nan said, don't worry about an hour. Stay 10 minutes after the service. 15 minutes after the service. Fast, don't worry about fasting in a week. Fast is a meal. But seek God. Pay the price to be successful. Amen. Amen. And then number five, I mean, those who lack transparency, humility, and integrity. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It's time for the church to realize we do sin and confess those sins. Be open. Be honest. And confess those sins. Amen. I want to read one more, and, and, and I hope everyone that can get to Scripture will get to this one. Because I'll end with this, this second Timothy. Second Timothy, 
chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read. Uh, Brother Man, what, what translation do you have there? <laughs> uh, keep me in the King, the King James or New King James. New King James. What verse? Uh, uh, you're supposed to be spiritual enough to discern the verse. Please, bear with me a little bit of my folly, would you? Uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. 23 through 26. Now listen, listen to this one. But avoid foolish negative disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Thank you. Listen to the end of the new... Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That's what I'll say. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gentle or gently instructed in the hope that they will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So, I would not want to leave here today without really encouraging us to be gentle, long-suffering, kind, bearing with the person. But notice what he says here. And that they will come to their senses. These are the people who are trying to help. These are the people that we're trying to win. These are the people that's out in sin. That they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There are some people that have been taken captive. And what we should do, there should probably not be a Sunday or a week that goes by that we don't pray. Now we have some prayer warriors in this church. I mean, we have people that can pray. We have some sisters in, and men too, but we have some sisters in this church that knows how to touch God. And I don't think there should be hardly a week, maybe even a Sunday, that goes by that we don't pray that the deceptive power of Satan be broken in this church service on Sunday morning. You want to help people? You want to be long-suffering? Let's believe God. Let's spend time in prayer. On our knees, pray God set them free. They're blinded, but set them free from Satan's deception. And that's what's happened. That's what's sitting with people today. And we need to pray against that. And the only thing that will break that is the power of God. God's people calling on Him. God's people praying and interceding. There is a thing about intercession that is so vitally important. Many of you, listen to me, many of you have the prayer of intercession. You have that gift, that it's not necessarily a gift, that ability to pray and see something happen, intercede, not only for the church, not only for our nation, but also for individuals. 
And I believe in God that we're going to see some mighty acts of God in there on Sunday morning because the church dared to pray and break that spirit of the section of the eyes and the minds of the people of, of that come to this church. Wouldn't that be great? Let's believe God. Let's believe God. It's going to take a sacrifice. It'll take a sacrifice in order for that to be done. One of the things I'm praying for in 2016 is that God will help us to seek Him with all of our heart. I hope we'll purpose in our hearts to seek Him with all of our hearts. And pray for the unbelieving and the unreached and uh, that they will surrender their life to Jesus Christ and they'll want what we have. Not reject it. What I've shared this morning was simply a, a balance to help us understand that there are certain people that we need to say, hey, God, they're in your hands. I, I, I've spent years of energy, time, prayer, tears before you for these people. Listen, not that we're going to quit praying for our loved ones. We'll never do that. Not that we're going to quit praying for the prostitutes and the drunkards and the, and the people in this city that's committed these awful murders that Brother Dave talked about. We're going to pray. But when it comes to helping certain people that you've tried to invest your time, invest your money in those people's lives, and they simply say no, then it's time to go to someone else that receives you, accepts the gospel, and you preach and teach and win that soul to Jesus. Come and play me a song, sister.